Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's production of FlagandBanner.com. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now, it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Chris. If right now you're sitting at your computer, you might want to watch us live on FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page. It's kind of fun to see what goes on behind the scenes. It's reality radio, and today, as really with every day, a lot's going on. The Hey, Chris, yeah, the yes. air conditioner's on over there. I think it's messing up our mics. I see Jason waving to us over there. Thank you. Like I said, you can watch us live in the action on flagandbanner.com's page and see us scurrying around, hand-waving to each other about the air conditioner being on. We're not as professional as we might like to be over here, but we're getting okay. there. Absolutely. This is my 101 show, so... That's all, I'd call that pretty professional. That's a lot of shows. And um, like I said, if you're sitting at your computer, you might want to watch us. Uh, I want to welcome back my new co-host, Chris. Well, thank you. Chris Cannon. Yeah. Thank you. I was out last week seeing my son in Ohio. Mm -hmm. He's going to the Ohio State, getting a PhD in horticulture because uh, he said we're going to need food. The Big Ten. Yeah. I'm from Iowa, so I'm the Big Ten boy as well. Oh, that's true. I get to watch the SEC and the Big Ten now. There you go. Um, if uh, anybody's listening, they might want to know that you are Chris mm -hmm. Cannon, mm -hmm. who used to be the DJ on B98, yep. so some of them might remember you. Yep. Uh, thank you again for helping out last week. Uh, we made a recording of the show for Facebook and a podcast. Oh, no, and making a recording for the of the show for Facebook and a podcast for next week to be released is Jason Malik from Arise Studio in Conway, Arkansas. We want to thank Jason. He's been doing mm -hmm. a great job, and these podcasts are always up next week this show up in your business with carrie mccoy began as a platform for me a small business owner and a guest to pay forward our experiential knowledge in a conversational way originally my team and i thought it would appeal to entrepreneurs and wannabe entrepreneurs but it seems to have had a wider audience appeal because after all who isn't inspired by everyday people's american-made stories it's no secret that successful people work hard but a discovery I find interesting is that many, many of my guests have a spiritual bent. They believe in a higher power, thus enabling them to take risks. Now, this next discovery about entrepreneurs really caught me by surprise. Almost all my guests have the heart of the teacher, and you do too. I saw where you teach your knowledge forward. They share their knowledge and are great communicators. And last, that business in of itself is creative, more so than I ever thought. And... If you miss any part of the show or want to learn more, Chris is going to tell you how. Learn more and listen to previous interviews on UIYB by going to flagandbanner.com and clicking on Radio Show. There you'll find our guest's interview and links to resources you heard on this show. Be proactive and join our email list or like us on Facebook to get an early sneak peek of each week's guest. Thank you, Chris. My guest today saves lives, improves lives, and teaches us about the brain. It's not every day you get to speak to a brain surgeon. Many of us don't even know one. They're a rare breed, even among doctors. But today is your lucky day because after 36 years in practice, neurosurgeon Dr. Stephen Cathy has retired and graciously accepted an invitation to today's Up In Your Business show. We're going to pick his brain. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. Thank you, Carrie. I, You've never I, heard that before. As I was you? telling Chris, when you 
called me out as a neurosurgeon, uh, first words were kind of a letdown when you meet one in person, isn't it? No, it is not true. <laughs> it is not true. We're going to find out from you what it's like to be you. And we're going to find out about the future of the burgeoning new science brains research. Isn't that kind of a new science? It is. Mm -hmm. It is. And the technology is advancing so quickly. Things that 30 years ago required a scalpel and an anesthesiologist are now being done by interventional radiologists with a much lower mortality and morbidity rate. Wow. Uh, aneurysm clipping, treatment of trigeminal neuralgia, all of those things are brave new frontiers. You are an Arkansas native attending Monticello High School and the University of Arkansas at Monticello. I'm a bow weevil, yes. <laughs> Graduating, of course, with both from both with high honors. On combined scholarships, you attended the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. And in 1983, 82 and 83, you did your surgery internship at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. And after that, lucky for us, you returned back to Little Rock, Arkansas and began your long career as a neurosurgeon. In the last decade, I think this is interesting, you have been selected accumulatively three times by the Arkansas Times and AY Magazine as either the best doctor or the best physician. Pat yourself on the back. I will. Thank you, Carrie. Apart from being a surgeon, you are a teacher, an orator, and a published author. And I'm going to see if I can say these titles because I just think it's fun to mm -hmm. talk to a neurosurgeon and get to use words like this because you never get to say things like this. <laughs> Some of your articles are, you can correct me if I do it wrong, paraplegia caused by co Coartation. Coartation of the A order and hydrocephalus. 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 Yes. That was one of your articles. The other one is the Camino Intracranial Pressure Monitor. Yes. performance in experimental and clinical trials and you most recently just in 2017 september i think it was you were published an article called the politics of infection disease that one i can get my head around that was a fun project for me because i work with some incredibly smart people at uams that are infectious disease specialists and i, I had a lot of fun writing that article well, you're going to tell us all about it. It's a pleasure to welcome to the table my super smart nerves of steel neurologist, Dr. Stephen Cathay. Well, I'm not a neurologist. I'm a neurosurgeon. And you know the, oh. di you know the difference between no, no a, a neurologist and a neurosurgeon? No, I have no idea. About 300 grand a year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's funny. <laughs> so what is a neurologist? A neurologist is one of the specialties we really lean on hard. They do a lot of the diagnostics, nerve testing, imaging studies, this, that, and the other. The neurosurgeon is the one who actually operates on the patient, who mm -hmm. uses does the, the surgery. Does the surgery. That's correct. So I usually, when I think of somebody like you, I think that they came from probably a long line of family doctors. But when I read your bio, I don't think that's true. My mom and dad were school teachers. And uh, my mother was a nurse of, at, toward the end. But yeah, I, I uh, was raised in South Arkansas and uh, my dad, basketball coach, school teacher, my mother the same, ultimately a nurse. So no, no doctors in the family. And I have two children, neither of which have pursued a career in medicine. Let's just tell everybody what your son does. This, my, is, this is how I first met you, actually. Very proud of my son. He's a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, he's in uh, Rhode Island right now at the Naval Law Academy, but he will be posted at Camp Pendleton in South 
Southern California, but he's a lawyer and a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. Very, I, very proud of that kid. Absolutely. And I met you because um, you bought a flagpole for your backyard so you could put a Marine flag up. As a matter of fact, the last time I, I remember seeing you was at the grand opening of my flagpole. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Carrie, if I had one regret about that flagpole. Okay, tell me. It wasn't big enough. Oh, I, my I, gosh. I, it's 40 I, feet tall. I want it? I wanted to look like a car dealership. Well, it, it's, it's a good one. Let <laughs> but me tell it, you. I, I love that. I had my Marine Corps flag, my American flag, my Arkansas flag. So it was great. I, I love it. That's really. It a, was a blessing. How, what do you think he decided to do that? You think you're an example for him of working hard? I would like to think so. I'd like to think I was inspiration for my son. Did he uh, always want to be a Marine? Some kids do. He went to Hendricks College, and which is traditionally sort of a liberal thinking, mm -hmm. liberal leaning college. And he was one of the only military kids on campus, but really? he, he loved the Marine Corps. He loved what it stood for, stands for, and he's excelled, so. Well, let's not leave your daughter out. I feel like if we talk about your son, we have to talk about your daughter. She's very successful too. Yeah, she's, where, she's the reason I don't have any money. Uh, she's at Columbia. <laughs> she's in New York right now. That's a now. good girl. That's what those girls are supposed to do. All right, keep going. Yeah, yeah, she's in graduate school at Columbia University in New York City uh, on doing broadcast journalism. That's what she'd like and to do. And she's worked on what shows? She's been on the Today Show. She's been on uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, in the back, in production. Yes, of those shows. yes, not, right. Not not, in, not in front of the camera, behind, but behind the, camera. the camera. And she just finished two years in Los Angeles working for Ellen DeGeneres. And she met everybody from Justin Timberlake to Michelle Obama. She it, got a good story it, for any of them? All of them. All Great of them. stories. So you uh, went. To, when did you decide you wanted to be a surgeon? You went to high school like everybody, and then you went to Monticello University of Arkansas, Monticello. What was your what was your uh, what did you think you were going to be when you went there? Did you know you wanted I, to be a brain I, surgeon? I knew I wanted to be a doctor from and I, early I, on. Early on, just always, like your son, knew I what always, you wanted to be. I, I knew I, I was fortunate because a lot of kids these days they really don't know. And mm -hmm. we ask eighteen year old kids to make a career decision when they don't know what they want to do. But my, but I was fortunate in that way, and I'll tell you the reason. You're going to laugh. Uh, my senior year of medical school. I decided I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because the neurosurgical trainees, the residents, the interns, the staff, and you're going to laugh, but they had the best-looking girlfriends and wives of any of the other trainees, and it was like, these are the coolest guys in the world. They're going to have the most money. Those girls are smart. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to be like these guys, but no, no, all, all kidding aside, mm -hmm. I, I love the brain. I love the study of neurosciences. I uh, love the neurological diseases and Anyway, that's where I am today. So you ended up going to Baylor and Dallas. I did. Spent a year in Dallas. Did your do they call it residency or surgery? Internship. Internship. Yeah, surgery did, internship. That's right. General surgery. Did you know appendectomies, gallbladders, hernia repairs, circumcisions. I mean, just kind of the basics. And then returned to Arkansas in the summer of nineteen eighty three and began my residency training at in neurosurgery. Wanted to come back to Little Rock. Absolutely. I'm an Arkansas boy. All the way. If someone wanted to go into your profession, do you have anything to recommend to them right now? Yes. Uh, study hard. Uh, try to make good grades because it's a very competitive program to be a neurosurgery resident. Dr. John Day, as chairman of neurosurgery at UAMS, does a fantastic job. But, you know, they 
pick the best, the brightest, and the guys and girls with the you know the you know the best grades, best academics, and the most successful. And then that's just the nature of the business. Did you ever make an attempt and fail at something and then have to come back and like take another course again, or were you just sailing through everything? I sailed. I was lucky. I had great, uh, I had great teachers, great professors, and I, I really never suffered any setbacks in my training. That's pretty unusual. That's a great brain. Well, it's a were, big old do, brain. Do you even give your brain to science? I, probably. I think I could give my brain to science. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what it would. It probably weighs about two pounds. I could throw it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a great place That's to a take. That's a perfect question. I've never had that. Before. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with retired neurosurgeon Dr. Stephen Cathy. We'll pick his brain again. Sorry. Oh my God! About, no pun intended. <laughs> I know. I can't help myself about life as a specialized surgeon. About the burgeoning science of brain research and the secrets it may unlock. And last, what he's doing today after retirement. We'll be back. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie McCoy founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting with door-to-door sales, then telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales. And now a third of their sales come through the internet. And this past year, Flag and Banner added another internet feature, live chatting. Over time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. And as early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. And then in 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And then in 2014, started an in-house publication, Brave Magazine. Now she has branched out into radio with this very production, podcast, and live stream. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. If you'd like to ask Carrie a question or share your story, send an email to questions at upyourbusiness.org. That's questions at upyourbusiness.org or send her a message on flagandbanner.com's Facebook page. We'll be right back. Want to create excitement for your business or event? Do it with affordable advertising from Arkansas's flagandbanner.com. We have teardrop banners, retractable banners, and table drapes. We have street pole banners, museum and exhibit banners. We have custom flags, event tents, tailgating poles, auto graphics, and window scrims. And don't forget, welcome home and sale banners. Consult the experts at ArkansasFlagandBanner.com. Go online for a free quote or drop by our historic showroom at 800 West 9th Street in Little Rock. And now, back to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We are listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm cutting it up with Steve Cathy, Dr. Steve Cathy. We're old friends. We go way back. I hope you didn't hear what we were saying on the break. That's why you should be watching Facebook Live because it's all right there for you to see at flagandmanner.com's Facebook page. But I'm speaking with retired neurosurgeon and author, Dr. Stephen Cathy. Before the break, we talked about how smart you are. (laughs) (laughs) No, we talked about uh, being a neurosurgeon, your life in Monticello you know, how competitive it is to become one and how you just really need to work hard. Uh, 
but being a brain surgeon is not for the faint of heart. Uh, my friend Kathy, when I, she asked me this week, she said, who are you having on? I said, oh, I'm having on Dr. Kathy. He's a brain surgeon. She said, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I look at my friends and say, well, at least I'm not having to do brain surgery. <laughs> I was like, yeah, who wants to ever do that? So uh, I really wanted to be a rocket scientist, but I oh, ended really? up going to brain surgery. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so seriously, what is it like to play God? Oh, Carrie, you know, it, it it's a very awesome and humbling experience to take care of someone and to know that during some of these surgeries, some of these procedures take 10, 12 hours and you're operating through a tiny opening in someone's brain and it's tedious, punctuated by sheer panic when a, something starts to bleed or you get into a part of the brain you really didn't mean to get into, you know, you make a technical error or things like that. And, and as we talked earlier, one of the advances in neuroscience has been this um, less invasive procedures where you no longer have to open the skull. You can actually do it through a catheter into the brain to clip an aneurysm or to treat a brain tumor. And it's been extremely, it's profoundly limited the, the risk of surgery and bleeding and death and morbidity. So yeah, it gets better every day. The technology is getting you better. You started 36 years ago. I did. So that would be like 1992. Oh. No, 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 82. That would be yeah, 82. Yeah, that's right. Boy, there have been huge advances in 30 years. Absolutely. I mean, it used to be... Uh, for example, one, one condition is called trigeminal neuralgia, which is a painful condition of the face caused by the fifth cranial nerve, trigeminal nerve. And in the old days, we would go in and literally explore the nerve, uh, lesion the nerve to prevent pain. Now we have what's called radiosurgery, or the gamma knife, which we radiate the nerve. And what do you the, mean you radiate the nerve? You, you'd send a high pulse of gamma radiation directed in a very small area around the nerve. And it kills the nerve? It kills the nerve. Well, it kills the painful aspects of the nerve. And um, it's it's been revolutionary. Can we just do that everywhere? Can we do it on your on like your feet? People have nerve damage in their feet. Can you do that everywhere? No, not everywhere, but the technology is advancing. So I think someday you will be able to not even have to use a scalpel. What'd you call that? Tri Trigeminal neuralgia. You know, that's pretty common. It is. It's and a very painful condition of the face. My daughter has that. Is that right? Okay. She does. She got it from a dental procedure. That's right. Absolutely. That's one of the complications of root canals or dental surgery. She just had a tooth pulled. Yep. And then she kept complaining about it. And I thought, you're yeah. just crazy. She had injury to her trigeminal nerve in, my, in, in all likelihood. And it's treatable, but it's horribly painful. Yes. Um, how do you... How do you stop and smell the roses when you're smart as you are and driven as you are? How do you get pleasure out of life of just saying, okay, now I'm not doing it right now. I just want to stop and kind of not think for a minute. I miss it every day. You do. I miss it every day. And, you know, I just, you get to a point in your career, which I think most physicians do, you get to a point where you realize you've been doing this too long and there are smarter guys, younger guys, more energetic guys that do it better. So it's time to take a step back. And that's what I did. 
just in fact just uh, april of this year yeah that's right i was actually chairman of the state medical board up until april of this year and then after i retired i stepped down as chairman uh, but that was a fabulous experience being on the state medical board i was originally appointed by by governor bb and then reappointed by governor hutchinson two of the finest men i've ever known in my life and uh, i was lucky and blessed enough to serve the people of arkansas in that capacity and that that probably was the high point of my professional career. What are you going to do now? Well, I'd say play golf. Yes. <laughs> Chris agrees with yes, that. Absolutely. Play golf. Um, <laughs> hang out with my kids. Yeah. They're not going to hang out with you. No, they won't. They don't now. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us what it's like when you were a practicing, when you were a practicing surgeon. What's your day like? How many did you do a week? What did you do the day? How many did you do? Did you, I mean, a 10 or 12 hour surgery, you could only do one a week, maybe? That's right. No, I, I never, I always did at least two or three cases a week. How did you manage? What did you get up? You start at five in the morning, yep. you, you wake up, yep. you get your coffee, you take a shot of liquor, so I you didn't, know, I, calm your nerves. <laughs> you know what? I have to do. Honestly, taking a shot of liquor is better than a shot of coffee because you don't want your hand to have a tremor. Oh. You, you, you really have to have very steady hands and caffeine promotes trimmer so i didn't drink coffee on days i operated but and i, I honestly didn't drink well, <laughs> after, after surgery that was a whole, whole, other whole story. other story so you get up you start what time do you start in the middle in the day well at, at the peak of my career you're right i would i would be up at 5 30 and you would go and make rounds on the patients that you had operated on the day before because you had to be in the operating room at seven o'clock. So you had to be there by five thirty, six o'clock. So you could just check on everyone you'd done surgery on the day before. And then you might get home at 10 o'clock at night. And then you've also got to figure in to see new clients. That's right. Yeah, I had I had clinic days, which are, are days where you, uh, you see patients in your office and uh, you try to diagnose them and not everyone needs surgery. You know, a lot of folks you need to prescribe physical therapy, medication, do testing, and that's what I would do on my days when I was not operating. And those were fun days too. You like that all of it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I would think if I was a surgeon, I would only like surgery. Well, surgery was absolutely the most rewarding part of it. Plus, you got paid better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, did you have nurses that you worked with yes. all the time? The same group were they your nurses or the hospital's nurses? They were the hospital nurses, but they were assigned to me. Uh, for the last ten years, I worked at Arkansas Surgical Hospital, and I had I had tremendous nurses. They were awesome. I had tremendous nurse anesthetists, anesthesia, and and uh, circulating nurses, and all that. I I, I I it's all part of a team. You're you're not the only guy out there doing this. You you got to lean heavily on your nurses and your anesthesia and your radiology techs and those kinds of so things. So when, when you're doing a 12-hour surgery, you can't not, don't you have to stop to eat? I've always wondered about that. Always had to stop to go to the bathroom. And to go to, and to eat. Uh, no, eating was not a big factor. You can look at me and tell that wasn't a big deal. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, just, you know, I, I, food never really factored into it. But, you know, you do have to take a break occasionally because you start to go cross-eyed. staring I into. I would a, not want a 12-hour surgery. Well, and, I would think you would only peak 
for a few hours in the day and the rest of the time, like you said, you're poking I have, the wrong I have never understood surgeons who will start an elective case at seven o'clock at night. I don't really think that's fair to the patient. I don't, you're I tired. Believe. You've been working for 12 hours and now you're going to start doing a case at 7 p.m. I mean, it's, I, I never thought that was a good practice. And I, I never did that. I don't even want to be after lunch. <laughs> I want to be. You want to be that first person in the morning. Absolutely. Right, when they're fresh. Unless they drink a lot. And then I want to be maybe the second <laughs> one. And I always ask the guy if I have to go in for anything. I say, please don't drink the night before. He said, oh, yeah, whatever. You would not believe how often that question comes up. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I always say, now you're not going to get drunk the night before. And they go, no, just a little bit. They always tease me a little bit. So I know this is such a stressful job. And I know you've had to lose some patients or been disappointed in your surgeries. Absolutely. How do you deal with that? I had a case. That you, when you mentioned that, one comes to mind. This patient had a vertebral artery aneurysm, which is a very rare aneurysm at the very base of the brain. And an aneurysm is like a balloon on an artery in the brain, and they bleed. And I had spent about 12 hours getting this aneurysm exposed and dissected and putting the clip on it. And after 12 hours, everything going perfectly it ruptured and the patient died on the operating table. And it's just so, I mean, it really is the most frustrating, heartbreaking. You have to go out and tell the family, you know, patient didn't make it. And everything was perfect. And I will say this, and I, in over 30 years of practice, I never had a malpractice case against me. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I never, I never, I, well, I was never negligent, I'd like to think, in treating my, my flock, my patients. Your flock. Yeah, they are Do my you flock. just have to turn it over to, to the universe and say, you know, it was his time, I did everything I could do? Yeah. You have to let go, don't you? You do. You do. And it, it haunts you. I mean, you think about it all the time. What if I'd, I'd have done What ifs? The what ifs? Absolutely. What if I'd have done this? What if I'd done that? So how do you deal with that? Well, you just move on to the next patient. You know, if you don't have any, well, I thought about this this morning, if you don't have any what ifs, then I don't think you're living your life full, full and I think, enough. I think that's true of every profession. Mm -hmm. You know, firemen, policemen, I mean, we all have things that we look back on and say, had I done this differently, would there have been a better outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to take another break? I think that's a great place. We can. All right. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with retired neurosurgeon surgeon, Dr. Stephen Kelly. You don't have to say retired so loud. <laughs> okay. We'll, re we'll, we'll, we'll continue our conversation with retired neurosurgeon, Dr. Stephen Kathy. I have a feeling you're going to be unretired within a year. I do know friends that do that. Good possibility. Yeah. In the next segment, we'll talk about the burgeoning science of brain research and get Dr. Kathy's take on it. And last, less than a year ago, Kathy. Kathy wrote an article for Arkansas Medical Science publication. I guess that's what AMS stands for. Uh, Arkansas Medical Society. Society. I tried to guess. Arkansas Medical Society publication called The Politics of Infection Disease. I'm very curious. If you read that, you would probably be one of the only ones. So. Of course I did not read it. I do not read anyway anything. So no, I didn't read it. That's why you're here. You're going to tell us what it said. But first, I want to remind everyone we're broadcasting live every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Central Time on both. KABF 88.3 FM, The Voice of the People, and FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page. And that after one week of every show's airing, a podcast
podcast is made available on all popular listening sites and YouTube. We'll talk more after the break. Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. McCoy began this broadcast with the intention of offering a mentoring platform for those with an entrepreneurial spirit. Through candid conversations and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. This unique radio show allows the listener intimate access into the stories of prominent leaders in our state. I'm Adrienne McNally, manager of the Arkansas Flag and Banner Showroom and Gift Shop, located on the first floor of the historic DeVorean Hall on the corner of 9th and State Streets in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. In business for 43 years, we offer an old-school shopping experience with front door parking, clerks to help you, and department store variety. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30, and Saturday, 10 to 4. Boost morale and patriotism with a new flag or flagpole from ArkansasFlagandBanner.com. We have poles, hardware, accessories, maintenance support, installation, and custom flags. We have flags of all kinds for the sports enthusiast, the world traveler, or history buff. We have them all. Bring in your old flag and get $5 off a new one. Consult the experts at ArkansasFlagandBanner.com. Come shop our historic location at 800 West Knight Street in Little Rock or visit us online at FlagandBanner.com. And now welcome back to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Thank you, Chris. People do pledge to KABF. It's just a great community service. It's a wonderful group of people here, and they just do they do something that nobody else does. And they're 100 watt. It goes all over. It's, I think it's got the largest wattage of any radio station in Arkansas. 100,000 I'm sorry. It's, keep me straight. 100,000 uh, okay. watts. Chris, I don't know if you know this, but in my college days, I was... The voice of Southeast Arkansas. On, oh, you were on the radio. KHBM Monticello. Okay. I did. Uh, I did sports, play by play for the Monticello High School and for the University of Arkansas Monticello. So you love radio. Oh, I love radio. You're an audiophile. I, I, I used to make promos and I'd go to the station and you know had had interviews it, right. was, it was really fun these public uh, radio okay. stations are really important for educating uh, and letting young people get chances to try to be you know on the radio find out if you like it my daughter uh, when she went to undergraduate school she was at New York University and when, while she was at NYU she did every day at like two o'clock she was on the air for WNYU and then ah. she did the news and weather and all that stuff. Is that how come so, she decided to be broadcasting? I think so. I think that's where she got her appetite for, you know, broadcast journalism. Well, let me tell everybody I'm speaking today to retired neurosurgeon <laughs> and author, Dr. Stephen Cathy. If you have a question, make a comment on flagandbanner.com's page or write this number down and call. 501-433-0088. That's 501-433-0088. That's 501-433-0088. 
But Chris has a great radio voice. Well, he's a, well, he's a professional <laughs> DJ, isn't it's he? It's my third week here. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's true. It is your third week here. And if you're shy, you can just creep on my weekly blog about life as a small business owner at flagandbanner.com. Or as I said earlier, you can listen to our podcast. They're all made available next week at Flag and Banner. Before the break, we talked about becoming a neurosurgeon. That was the first break. And then the second break, we talked about the stress and the life of being a neurosurgeon and how you prepare for it and, um, you know, what a day and is like, you know, seeing and, patients. And, and let me just add this real quick. Mm -hmm. we, we talked about my, my profession and my, my specialty, but there are so many really great doctors out there, primary care, family practice, who that phone rings at 2.30 in the morning and they're up and they're going to the hospital and they're going to the ER. And it's not just neurosurgeons that are committed. There are really, really fine physicians in the state. There are so many physicians and nurses. When you go to the hospitals, I am shocked at what a huge business that is. It is. It, it is a and and good and bad. It has, in some ways, become a big money business, which is kind of a you know a little bit not the way I think it should be that we focus on money as much as we focus on patient care. But that's just the nature of the business mm -hmm. of the beast everything's about money yep, not just is. them everything it, is you gotta pay true. for it yeah, even churches have to make money whenever i go to the church uh, um, uh, meetings and talk about money and they always they, pass the plate they pass that plate <laughs> and i always try to make them you know do more things that have to do with money and they go we're a church we're not it's not a business i'm like yeah it is we gotta make some money or the doors aren't or open the doors won't be open i know That's so right. let's talk about uh past brain research Correct me if I'm wrong, but prior to Obama, were we unable to do very much brain research? Were there limitations? No, there. Again, it's a little bit out of my area of expertise, but um, there has been progressive advances in neuroscience uh, since I've been in practice. And I think the most exciting things and the challenges are going to be in the areas of like Alzheimer's research and dementia and you know, Parkinson's disease. And none of the, it's not the sexy stuff like brain surgery, but it's vitally important and the research is important. And I, I believe maybe over the next 30, 40 years, you're gonna see cures for Alzheimer's and you're gonna see cures for Parkinson's disease. Do you believe vitamin E is really helpful for Alzheimer's? I, I don't really have an opinion on it. So Not no. So no. I, I would say no. Yeah. I have a girlfriend <laughs> whose husband has it. She's just feeding him vitamin E like crazy. Well, I don't think it's going to hurt him. Um, um, they didn't. I don't think. I thought I saw a special where prior to Obama, you weren't allowed to take the criminally insane's brains and cut them open. Is that true? Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with uh, President Obama. No, but I think it was politics for some reason. There, when I first went into my training back in the early 80s, there was an area kind of quietly discussed about lobotomy, where you would send a patient to a neurosurgeon who did what's called functional neurosurgery, and they would, you know, resect a part of the brain to... Uh, 
ostensibly to treat seizures, but in in all honesty, what they were trying to do was prevent the patient from you know being a sex offender or you know being a you know quote unquote criminally insane. But it kind of lost a lot of its validity as time went on, and it, there were medications that were better uh, suited to treat if you if you want to say treat. Uh, to, to deal with these individuals. I'm talking about dead people. Oh, uh, I'm talking no. about people who's criminally insane, cutting their, taking their brain and giving it to science and cutting it open to see if there was something about their brain different from other people's brain. I, I don't know about that particular type of research. Um, I know that you would have to have a lot of permission. Well, you'd have to have permission from families and what have you to do that, and I'm not really sure how much benefit would be gained by looking at the anatomical sections of a brain of a quote-unquote criminally insane individual, but I know that research has been done, So that and it had nothing to do with politics. It, it, it was done. It just happened to be in that era, maybe, that right, it was allowed. Right, right. So, um, this, that brings me to Einstein's brain. Oh my gosh. That's a brain now. That's a brain. But you know, it's not any bigger than anybody else's. And this is one of the things I love about the show. Is that I hate the fact that I'm under this deadline to read all this stuff. But I love the fact that it forces me to read all this stuff. And I have just been in just reading and watching. There's so much about Einstein's brain about... And he don't. I, 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 and again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking outside the box on this. But I think Einstein was a professor at Princeton University in New Jersey, and he did donate his brain to science. <laughs> and what, what I know about brain size doesn't necessarily correlate to brain function. I know that Lord Byron, the poet supposedly had the largest brain of any known human being. It was like, average brain is 2.5 pounds and his was like 10. Oh, <laughs> that's a heavy head to carry around. <laughs> Again, I, I'm just speaking way off the cuff there. So, no, no. But Lord Byron apparently Has the did, biggest brain. had, a, had the had biggest a big brain, brain ever recorded. Yeah. So does the size of your head actually have to do with the size of your brain? Do you know it does? Mm -hmm. And there have been studies uh, done on uh, with regard to Alzheimer's disease that people with big heads are less likely to, you know, um, uh, contract Alzheimer's. So I'm looking at Chris over there Chris saying he's he's big head. He's, he's, in the, he's safe. <laughs> you Thank are you. too, Kathy. I think I'm I'd in like trouble. To. I'm in trouble. I look pinched over here compared to y'all. Thank God I'm not a urologist on this show. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Let's get one of those. All right, so this is what I wrote about right. Einstein's brain. Thomas Harvey in 1955 did the autopsy. Mm -hmm. he, in, it, was it at Princeton? At Princeton? I Remember, but I think you might be right. Seven hours after Einstein's death. Uh oh, whose phone's ringing? It's not mine. It's yours. It's mine. Uh oh, well, there we go. I got mine on uh -oh. solid. Uh oh, it's I'm okay. the fire me. Uh, <laughs> all right, seven hours after his death, he uh, took his brain out, and he—I don't know if this happened seven hours, but over the next period of time, he dissected it into 
240 sections. Oh, wow. And he gave it to all of these scientists to see if they could find anything different about it. Chris, you're nodding like you knew this. No, no, no. I, it's interesting. Uh, I would be surprised if they found anything different about it. I can't believe you don't know this, that you're not curious to find out about this. <laughs> so, so this is what's really weird. Is in So he died in 55. Okay. In 1978, a journalist, Stephen Levy, uh, rediscovered that it was in Harvey's possession and found it in the trunk of his car in a cedar box in mason jars that he'd been carrying around in the trunk of his car for 20 years. Now, that I did know. I did, I did hear that the pathologist had kept Einstein's brain. In the trunk of his car, in a mason jar. So, in 2010, the Harvey family gave it to uh, the National Museum of Health and Medicine, and if you go there... Oh, and he took 14 photographs of it before he dissected it, which is good. And so they found out that he has, let's see, he has something unusual about it. His this corpus callosum was big. What is that? It's the, Are you uh, talking dirty to me? No, 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 no. Oh, it's okay. the part of the, it's the, it's the <laughs> structure that connects the two hemispheres of the brain. And I, I just threw that out okay, there. Okay, this is know. what it is. The missing part, he was miss his Sylvian Fisher. Sylvian Fisher, yeah. Was missing, which, which made another part of his brain enlarged that was, that was, uh, oh, I didn't write down what that part was, that would make him have uh, not very good verbal skills because he didn't learn to speak till he was very young, very old. But he had great imaginary, and so he could he could he could envision what um, he could envision. You know, relativity. Right, that he right. He could think in three D, or he could think about relativity and those yes. theories. I, I know that Einstein was a basically a patent clerk in Vienna yeah. and worked out uh, the theory that stars that went extinct billions of years ago are still shining. And I, I think that's an incredible leap for science that you could figure out that that star you're looking at has not been uh, emitting any any sunlight or starlight for billions of years and Einstein worked all that out and you have to imagine guy was smart and the other thing about Einstein he was apparently a very funny guy had yeah. a good sense of humor and his students loved him and and I think that's important too you can be a brilliant man but you also need to be a funny man <laughs> I think humor is so important especially if you're teaching it's how you keep kind of engaged with your audience I think told you that's why I went into neurosurgery those were the funniest guys and had the best looking girlfriends so so if you want to see a part of uh, Einstein's brain it's on display in Philadelphia at the Mütter Museum, and they have sliced it up. Really? And it's under, yeah, you might like this, and it's under a microscope, and you'd go up there and look through a microscope at it. Do you know, while you're talking about anatomical specimens, you can go to the National Military Museum in Washington, and John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated yeah. President Lincoln, they did an autopsy on him, and that he was shot through the neck when the Union troops caught up with him down in uh, Virginia. He was shot through the neck and was paralyzed when he died. They they dissected his spinal cord uh, where the bullet went through, and you can go to this museum in Washington and you can look at John Wilkes Booth's spinal cord. I, that's one of the that's on my bucket list. I want to do that one time before I die. Oh wow! So what's since we're speaking neurosurgery, there. Yeah, I love all this stuff. Really, yeah, really. It's, it's interesting. It's pretty interesting Absolutely. stuff. Um, 
so another thing about Einstein's brain, and then we'll quit talking about it. No, is I love Einstein. It had, let me see. Okay, these are called, Einstein's brain had more glial cells. Glial. Glial cells relative to neurons. What does well, that mean? Okay, there are two types of brain cells. Uh, glial is like the supporting cells. It's like if you eat a steak, the part of the steak that the gristle, for example, that's analogous to a glial cell. It's a supporting fibrous tissue. Mm -hmm. The neuron is the, it's the nerve cell. It's what, mm -hmm. you know, allows you to smile, laugh, move your right arm, blink Send your signals. eyes. Send Send the it, it's the it's the signal sender. Mm -hmm. And the glial cells is the are the cells that support the neurons. Mm -hmm. And most malignant brain tumors uh, arise from the glial cells. That's why they're called glioblastoma or glioblastoma multiforme because they begin in the supporting cells of the brain and they're highly malignant. So he's lucky he didn't have. Yeah, if he got a brain tumor, he. So why would that make any difference to Einstein's intelligence? It doesn't. It seems I, like it'd be a handicap. I don't know enough about any this information and this well, research it's all to know. It's all conjecture. They can't right. prove anything. They have no idea. I mean, there's there's nothing. It's just all right. I mean, and I'm sure guesses. it probably is. In 1957, when 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 he died, 55. 55. I, I doubt that there was that much advancement in neuropathology to kind of know. Mm -hmm. and and you, as you very aptly said, it's conjecture. It's all, yeah. But but it is it is kind of interesting and fun to talk about. So let's talk about brain research. We've already talked about the fact that uh, we don't have to. It's 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 not as invasive as it used to be. That's correct. Is there anything else that's coming down the pike that you think is going to be really interesting about? It's going to affect Americans. I think the next great advance in neuroscience will be gene research, where you can actually use stem cells to perhaps uh, a patient that's got uh, who has a spinal cord injury for example that would be a good one and they could inject stem cells to regenerate a spinal cord and i think that's coming i don't think it's very close i think it's going to be probably after our lifetimes but it doesn't seem like it should be stem cells are well, already yeah i know but it is um it, it it really is going to be a ways off, but I, I think that that's going to be a very brave new world when it comes to neuroscience research is, is stem cells to treat strokes, to treat spinal cord injuries, to, to treat, you know, brain tumors and those types of things. Let me just take a break. Congenital abnormalities. So, yeah. Congenital abnormalities. Uh, I'm just going to take a quick break and tell everybody you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with retired neurosurgeon and author, Dr. Stephen Cathy. All right, you've got to know the answer to this one. You're the one person that can know the answer to this. Nature versus nurture. <laughs> you know the brain. Is it the chicken or the egg? Is yep. that what <laughs> You've got to know the answer to that. You've got enough brains. Is it nature versus nurture? Is it nurture versus nature? What do you think? What's are your we, opinion? Are we taking a break or are we going to answer no, that, this? No, that was the break. I just told her that was a station break. You know, my opinion as a, a neurosurgeon, clini a clinical neurosurgeon and not a research neurosurgeon, my personal opinion is I think it's I think it's nurture. I really you do. You really do? I do. You say so when you look at all the brains you think they're all the same? No, not necessarily. I mean they there are congenital abnormalities, but I think if I took a child 
out of one environment into another one and change the circumstances, I believe it's more nurture. But that is just an opinion more of a humble neuro More conjecture. <laughs> yeah, it's more conjecture. I thought maybe you were going to say, you know, no, you cut a brain open, they look so much different. They all look so much different, but they really they don't. Re they do really it. don't. They, they all really look the don't. same. Except I know Einstein didn't have a Sylvian Fisher. There you go. <laughs> and uh, who was that Baron that had a 10-pound brain? Oh, Lord Byron. Byron. Yeah, the poet. Uh, all right. Well, you Slept wrote with uh, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. See? You uh, learn something on this show. I I'm always a, learn I'm something. I'm a Renaissance man. <laughs> you really are. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the paper you wrote. The oh. last one in 73, 19, I mean, 27, 73, 2017, you wrote a paper called Politics of Infection Disease. I did not read it. What's it about? But it sounds interesting. When I was chairman of the medical board, we had two of absolutely the most knowledgeable, um, informed infectious disease specialists in the country, not just in Little Rock. Dr. Joseph Beck, who was the chairman before I was on the medical board and Dr. Tom Brasher over at UAMS. And they had put out some guidelines about how we treat HIV positive or how we deal with HIV positive physicians, specifically medical students, house staff at the school. How do we, do you, do you reveal they're positive for HIV or do we reveal they're positive for hepatitis C and this type of thing? And the politics came in because their recommendations were the treatment's so good, it really doesn't, shouldn't matter. We don't really need to be telling patients that Dr. X or Dr. Y or Z has HIV or has hep C. However, the politics overrode it. Transparency. They wanted, they said, you gotta, you gotta tell people this. And, and my point was, politics still influences how we deal with infections. Just like during the polio epidemic, when you know, municipalities would close swimming pools yeah. because there would be an outbreak of polio. And it, it dealt with President Roosevelt being elected president four times from a wheelchair, and that would never happen today. No. And it, it was, I, I enjoyed researching that article and I thought it was pretty good. So what, so what, what are you trying to say? What I was saying is that, you know, there's not any politics related to taking out an appendix, but there's a lot of politics related to infections, particularly tuberculosis. Um, because, HIV. They, because you can catch it. That's right. Absolutely, and and it, rightfully so. And it's a public. It's a public. Uh, it's service. public concern. Oh, it's you a public know. concern. And you know, uh, for example, when I was a senior in medical school, I had worked a lot at the VA, the old VA. <laughs> As you say, retired. I'm old too. I worked down at the VA on Roosevelt, and I contracted TB. Uh, my my skin test became positive. Uh, it's called a PPD test, where they inject you with the, the, the virus, the bacteria, and you have a reaction. And they said, from now on, you never need to have another TB test because you could really hurt yourself. It could be damaging to your skin. So now when the hospital would say, you need to come in and do your your TB test, I'd say, well, I'm positive. And they'd go, oh, well, then you don't have to have a test. And I always, it, it, it just, I was amazed that now that I'm positive, nobody cares that I have it 
But if I wasn't positive, they want to test me. They didn't do anything with that information. That's and what that, I was going to say. What they do with that information? No, nothing. They'd say, oh, you're positive. Uh, don't worry about Nobody it. Nobody has tuberculosis anymore. Are you cured? Or does it ever cure? Uh, Is it just dormant? It's dormant. I'm, I'm, I, my skin test would still be positive, but I've never manifested any of the, you know, productive cough or weight loss or chest abnormalities. I just happened to got I got enough of exposure to the to the bacteria that, that, tested that I tested positive. And that that kind of made me wonder, why do we have this test when you don't do anything with the information? Just tell tell the Do you the take precautions? No. For, for for with your patients, you don't need to because you're not contagious. That's right. That's yeah, what that's I've been a told. Silly, that's a silly. It's thing a to... silly test, in my opinion, and that and that's what kind of piqued my interest in writing an article about the politics of infectious disease. Yeah. Because there's no politics related to a hysterectomy, but there's a lot of politics. But related. again, it's not contagious. But tuberculosis is not contagious, so I'm not. It sure. is. It is. It well, is contagious. But, but you said you're not contagious. Well, they. I've been told by my friends, their pulmonologists, that I don't have to worry That's about it. That's such an old-fashioned. It is. It's an It's an antiquated test, and. I, you know, that that's why I wanted to write this article and just get people thinking you, about you it. You brought a up bit. so many things that have to do with my family. My grandfather died from tuberculosis. Oh, he did. My did daughter he? has trigomyalgia. Yeah. And my grandfather died from tuberculosis. What else can we talk about? Oh, we can talk about <laughs> anything. Did, did he go to the sanatorium up in Boonville? Because he was on his way to Arizona when he died. Oh, or okay. New Mexico, somewhere out there. That gotcha. was so long ago. It was probably the gotcha. 30s. The treatment probably is much different now. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I didn't even know anybody even still had tuberculosis. Do you know the, the same bacteria that causes TB is related to the bacteria that causes leprosy? They're very related. It's hard to tell the difference between the bacterium producing uh, tuberculosis and leprosy. Interesting. So uh, if 20 years ago, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give yourself? I would have probably taken some prophylactic treatment for it. Um, you know, they they recommended that I take this drug uh, called rifampin for about nine months, but I didn't want to take it because they said you couldn't drink and take it. So I took my chances, and I'm here today. You're doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, anything? Good call. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Uh, what do you want your legacy to be? My children. I, I want I want my children to be proud of me, and I want them to succeed. And so far, uh, they've been exceptional kids, and that's my legacy. Mm -hmm. Is I've tried to raise two really tremendous kids, and I hope that my patients will look back and say, "Dr. Kathy was took care of me and took care of my family." That that's my legacy. Because brain surgery often makes people walk again, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, is the, what is the most common brain surgery uh, surgery that you do? Probably? Trauma. From a head injury? Mm -hmm. From a head injury, from a gunshot wound or a depressed skull fracture or, you know, someone hitting you in the head. I'll tell you a quick story. I, mm -hmm. I know we're on the clock here, but I was leaving a Razorback football game one night over at uh, Little Rock at War Memorial. And I get a call from the emergency room and they call me and they say, we've got a girl here who um, has been hit in the head with a beer bottle and she's got mm. a fractured skull. So I went straight to the ER. First thing I do is get an x-ray and she's awake, alert, talking. 
we get an x-ray she's got a bullet in her brain <laughs> oh my god and i said i said i got some good news and some bad news good news is you didn't get hit in the head with a beer bottle bad news is you got shot in the head but she did fine we just took her surgery and it can change your personality but she just assumed you know something hit me in the head it was a stray gunshot wound it can change your personality a lot though can't it? oh yeah absolutely For permanently absolutely yeah depending on what part of the brain's injured you know some There's, sides are angry? Well, some parts of the brain are more elegant. You know, you talk about the Sylvian Fisher. That's very elegant brain tissue. It's where your motor speech center is located. Whereas you can, you know, have an injury to the frontal lobe of the brain, particularly the right frontal lobe, because most people are right-handed, so that makes the, oh, that's that right. makes the left side of the brain dominant mm -hmm. but oh, okay. but you, yeah you depending on where the tumor is or the injury is de determines the significance and the impact of the injury or the insult to the neurological tissue yeah do uh different races have thicker skulls you know i don't know carrie um I do believe African Americans have thicker skulls, and I think that's just part of the evolution mm -hmm. of the African continent and what, that type of thing. But I don't quote me on that. I have a friend who's a Native American, and she said she was in a car wreck, and her boyfriend died from a head injury, and she didn't. And he said that it, it had to do with skull thickness. Mm -hmm. she, she said she's a Native American. And she said, and he told me that. I had a really thick skull. Uh, I, I wouldn't speculate on that, I know. honestly. I that was interesting, though. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, to quote you, conjecture. That's not conjecture. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I think it's uh, time for me to give you your gift. Oh, my gosh. I hope it's a car. <laughs> I do too. Oh, That'd be nice. Oh, it's thank a desk you. set with a U.S. Oh, Arkansas and a, and a Marine. Thank yes. you so much. Yes, and, and thank you, Chris. Uh, very well. Welcome. Welcome. It this was a great is very show. thoughtful. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on, Steve. I really Anytime. Love Call you. me again. All right. Yeah. I will. I won't be retired next time. I think that may be true. <laughs> Who's our guest next week? That would be Creighton Rawls. And if you don't know who that is, he's the owner and manager of the Prospect Building, which is a high rise and high-end apartment building in downtown Little Rock. Yep, he's doing it. He's going to come on and talk about apartments in downtown Little Rock. Well, I'll tell you what, he's got a tough act to follow. Why? <laughs> just, oh, because of you? Yeah. Oh, I get it. It took me a while. I was like, why? What do you what? mean? What? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. He's got to make in front of me. Uh, yeah, he does. You're exactly right. Thank but, you But, so you know, much. I know his mother, Barbara, and she has traveled around for years and years and years collecting art. She's just an amateur art collector. And so this building that her family owns and her son runs, the Prospect Building, on the ground floor, has a gallery. And so she sells, you know, when you're a collector, you got to have some place to get rid of some of that so you can keep collecting. So they also sell art on the first floor of the Prospect Building. I've enjoyed hosting with you today, Chris. Absolutely as well. I've enjoyed talking to you so much, Steve Guy. Thank you, Carrie. Oh, Thank you, Chris. You. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed being here. Telling what I know. You tell it good, too. <laughs> uh, if you have a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted online with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. So subscribe to her weekly podcast whenever you'd like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.